Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth podcast. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today's episode is part two of a series where we'll talk about the recently passed CARES Act and how it applies to small businesses. On our last episode, we discussed the provisions of the bill that apply to individuals. You can listen to that episode at agentofwealth.com backslash 42. The CARES Act was the mammoth $2 trillion stimulus package that was passed into law last Friday. And as part of the bill, there have been a lot of funds that have been allocated to small businesses. We'll see that the theme around those funds is for small businesses to keep employees on the payroll and not lay everyone off. Although the job numbers were released this week and it was reported that there were 6.6 million unemployment claims, which is double the amount that there were last week. And it's still expected to go up. Some projections have it even going up to 30 or 40 million unemployed. So the, the business provisions of the CARES Act really come down to three options. The first one is called the Economic Impact Disaster Loan, or EIDL. The second one is the Payroll Protection Program, or the PPP. And the third one is the Employee Retention Tax Credit, or the ERTC. So a majority of the confusion around the bill is around these three programs. I think uh, some of the questions I've gotten are, what are the eligibility requirements? Do they ha- Does someone have to personally guarantee the loan or provide any collateral? What do the loan funds have to be used for? Is it forgivable? What's the amount or maximum amount of the loan that they can receive? And then how do they apply? So I'll go through each of those questions for each of the programs and then how to decide which one is best for you. Or there's the fourth option, which is just lay everyone off and have them collect unemployment. And in the last episode, I covered how unemployment options have been beefed up as part of the CARES Act. And one of the changes to unemployment um, as per the CARES Act is that uh, an owner can now fire themselves and collect unemployment as well. Okay, so let's start off with the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Uh, So this is a program through the Small Business Association. And anyone who's not familiar with the the SBA or the Small Business Association, it's they've been a great resources for businesses, mostly on who need startup money, or who come across hard times and need to get loans, um, you know, as the event of a disaster. And the disaster is specific that they're allowed to have a loan for. Um, you know, a recent example was the tornadoes in Nashville, and now the CARES Act permits businesses to take this economic injury disaster loan for up to $2 million if your business was impacted by the coronavirus. So it's available in all 50 states. It can be used by any small business that has fewer than 500 employees, and self-employed and nonprofits uh, are also eligible for this. So it's a little bit different than a regular SBA loan. Under the normal SBA loan, there's stringent qualification and testing that has to take uh, place to, com- to complete the loan. So it's it, they wanted to make something a little bit easier, and that's where they came up with this EIDL. So qualifications based solely on sufficient credit or any other way that prove that you can prove that you have the ability to repay the loan. So they may ask for some more documentation, but it, it is limited in what they're going to require. So for self-employed individuals, you'll need a copy of your Schedule C, proof of income, or any expenses as well as it could be any 1099s that they're asking for. Now, what um, what got a lot of traction once the CARES Act was passed was that it also allows for a $10,000 emergency grant 
to be issued for anyone who applies for the for an EIDL. And the reason for the grant is due to the fact that processing these loans can take some time, and especially with the fact that there's going to be a lot of people looking for these loans. So this $10,000 emergency grant, it's given to business owners, it should be given to business owners within three days of their application. And you're actually allowed to keep that money. So regardless of whether you qualify for an EIDL or not, you should be able to keep that. So it's a it's a grant. What can the, the EIDL be used for? It's basically anything. You have to prove that your business had an economic injury. And once you do prove it, you can use it for things like payroll, monthly debt payments, rent, accounts payable, or really any other operating expenses. And the terms of the, the EIDL, are, they're supposed to, they're designed to be really favorable to you. The SPA has final say on the terms, but it looks like repayment can be stretched over 30 years and the interest rate is set at 3.75%. So to give you an idea just how affordable that is for most businesses, if you take $100,000, put it into your business, pay it over 30 years, you're look, it's looking at costing you about $463 per month. Okay, so next we're going to we're going to talk about the the Paycheck Protection Program and this is looked at as the Golden Goose the CARES Act. And you know just to go back to the EIDL, if you if you had acquired an EIDL before the Paycheck Protection Program was available, your EIDL can be wrapped into your Paycheck Protection Program and we're going to call it PPP from now on. However, if you receive that $10,000 emergency grant, that money is going to be docked from the amount that's ultimately forgiven on your Paycheck Protection Program. So the Paycheck, or PPP, it's a $349 billion program as part of the CARES Act. It's also backed by an SBA loan and is potentially forgivable. So that's the facet of it that most people really like. The SBA and the Treasury are, are um, tasked with putting the rules out jointly. And even though this was passed last week, the guidelines on it aren't out yet, which hopefully we receive shortly. So the way the CARES Act is written, the law requires the SBA to put the regulations out within 15 days of enactment, which means we can still be waiting a week and a half before we actually see what the rules of the loan are. So take everything I'm going to say with a grain of salt because it may change. And like I said, regulations may not be out for a week or two. The first applications for this are going to be, start being accepted this Friday. And so, yeah, that's that's you heard that right. Loans are going to be giving out before we understand what the rules of the loans that people are applying for. So it's an interesting situation, but I know they're trying to get money out as quick as possible. So sole proprietors and small businesses, can be, they can start um, applying by this Friday, April 3rd. And if you're a self-employed or independent contractor, you have to wait a week and start applying on April 10th. Although the definition of the difference between a sole proprietor, self-employed, and independent contractor is a little bit vague on what, what is classified as each, each one. So there's three factors that would make someone qualify for this type of loan, and they're pretty broad. One is you have to have a business. Two, you have to have less than 500 employees. And three, you have to meet certain certifications. So you have to self-certify that there's economic uncertainty in the crisis that makes this loan necessary to support your ongoing operations. You have to certify that you're going to use the funds for payroll, leases, utilities, mortgage payments. And you have to certify that you're not going to get another loan under this program. So there's no double dipping. And we'll go over a couple of the other options as well. So there's a lot of confusion around the terms of the loan, and because the law had wording such as you're eligible for an amount up to this or a max of this, the Treasury did come out this week and provided some clarity on it. So everyone's going to be blanketed the same terms. It's going to be a 0.5% interest rates. Payments would be deferred for six months, and it's a two-year loan for everyone. So again, to rehash what the loan can be used for, it can be used for rent, which was uh, for leases that were in force prior to February 15th of this year. 
can be used for interest on mortgages that were enforced prior to February 15th this year. It can be used for utilities, things like heat, electric, oil and gas, phone, internet. And the biggest thing that it's going to be used for or can be used for are payroll costs. So this is a payroll cost of up to $100,000 annually per employee. And payroll costs include wages, sick leave, health insurance premium, state and local taxes, and you know for the self-employed, net earnings from self-employed. That means you can apply for a loan to pay yourself an amount of your own income. So let's say for every employee that you have that is compensated $100,000, that equates to about $20,833 of an amount of a loan. Because the way the loan works is it's your average monthly payroll costs multiplied times 2.5. And we'll look at an example in a second. So uh, average monthly payroll costs are over the prior year. So then you take that, you divide it by 12, and then you can see how much of, of a loan that you'll get. So if an employee earns over $100,000, for this calculation, only 100000 would come into play. And like I said, we'll look at an example in a second. The thing that everyone is interested in about this loan is that it can be forgiven. The question, obviously, is, is how much of the loan can be forgiven. And it's an amount, the amount of the loan that you spend on qualified expenses in the eight weeks after you get the loan. So payroll costs are the big one. But like I mentioned earlier, it can also be used to cover mortgage interest, rent, utilities. However, the non-payroll costs that are forgiven cannot be more than 25% of the forgiven amount. So they really, you know, going back to that to that theme, they really want you to to focus on this to pay employees salary and wages. There is a limited amount of money, so there is some urgency, and it's been noted as a first-come, first-served basis, so there's probably going to be an influx of people applying for this. Secretary Mnuchin said that they would go back to Congress and ask for more money if that bucket ran out, but you, don't, you never want to leave yourself at the mercy of Congress to allocate, allocate more money to it because at some point they might just say, all right, we've allocated enough and we're not going to allocate any more. Now, on the forgiven piece of this loan, there is a catch. The whole, Like I said, the whole purpose of this is to keep your staff employed. So there, there are two things you cannot do or the forgivable portion will be reduced. So the first thing is you can't reduce the compensation for any employee earning $100,000 or less by more than 25%. These loans are given through SBA-approved financial institutions, so it's most banks, credit unions. But at some point, which is eight weeks or after, you have to go and certify what these expenses or prove what these expenses are. They're also going to check that you didn't reduce the compensation of any employees, nor did you decrease any full-time equivalent headcount. And the way this rule works is you have the choice of two timeframes. So either from February 15th of last year through June 30th of last year, that you have the same number of full-time equivalent headcounts, or from January 1st this year to February 29th this year, you have the same number of headcounts. So you get to pick which of those timeframes you're judged against. However, the rule does allow you to hire back people through June 30th of this year if, you know, for some reason business was lower, you know, in one of those time frames and you did uh, reduce headcount, you do have the ability to add now and your loan will still be forgiven. So you get the loan, it's done through an SBA approved lender, which are usually like your federally insured banks, your credit unions. The CARES Act also does authorize the SBA to authorize other lenders. And this may be relevant because the SBA approves 600, about 600,000 loans just in general per year. They're expected possibly to have you know, in anywhere in the 20s to 30 million of people applying for, for these. So it's a definitely a, going to be a big problem of scaling. So there's probably going to be other lend, types of lenders that are authorized for it. And it's actually pretty straightforward to, to apply. There's a four-page application that just got released. I'll link to it in the show notes. 
and you can have either a consultant or a CPA help you fill it out. And there's no origination cost for this, so which is, is really good that those fees for underwriting the loan come or paid through the through the SBA. So that's really good. Uh, some questions have come up recently about it. And the first one is, how does this interact with other parts of the CARES Act? So we're going to talk about something called the ERTC or the Employee Retention Tax Credit. And you're not allowed to double dip. So if you're taking a paycheck protection uh, loan, you're, you're not allowed to take an ERTC or any other type of, you know, that, that EIDL as well. For some businesses, the better alternative will be the ERTC, which we'll talk about in a second, but that's a 50% tax credit of up to $10,000 of employees' wages. And usually the more you have average salaries that are on the lower side, the more that one may make sense. But we'll cover that in a little bit more detail in a second. The other question I get a lot is, can I get unemployment compensation as well qualify for this PPP? And it's a little bit of a gray area. There is an unemployment pandemic assistance that gives self-employed the equivalent of unemployment insurance. But if you receive a loan that's supposed to be used to pay yourself a salary, I would assume that you're probably not going to be allowed to double dip and collect unemployment insurance as well. Although, if you do run out of the PPP loan, and that's in the, basically a two-month loan, then you may be able to start collecting unemployment insurance. So, like I said, a lot of these regulations and details still haven't been released yet, but that definitely would be one thing to check on. So let's look at a quick example. So you have Company A that's been around for a couple of years. It has three employees. In the last 12-month period, we have employee one made $40,000 a year, employee two made $80,000, and employee three made $120,000. So the company's total compensation for the uh, prior 12 months is $240,000. But if you remember that employee three's compensation is $120,000, and since it's capped at $100,000 per employee, you have to deduct $20,000 from that qualifying payroll cost. So instead of $240,000 for the purpose of qualifying for the loan, it would only be 220000 So you divide that number by 12, then multiply it by two and a half months, and you come up with a total loan amount of 45833 So now the, the company gets that loan, and they can use that loan to pay wages, benefits, rent, mortgage interest, the things we talked about earlier. And at the end of the eight-week period, the company goes back to the bank that gave them the loan and provides all the payroll records, receipts for all these qualifying payments, and if those items total at least 45833 the entire loan is forgiven. Now, what if they don't use up the whole PPP loan for qualified expenses? So the way this works is you don't have to give the money back to the SBA immediately. The remainder is put into forbearance for that six months. And at the conclusion of, of the forbearance, the loan becomes a two-year loan with that interest rate of 0.5%. But let's look at another quick example. I remember I mentioned that the headcount can't change. So let's go back to that example. And what if employee one, that one, the one that earned $40,000, was let go in one of those time periods in advance of the loan? So the, the way the loan is structured, you have to have the same amount of full-time employees or equivalents in place for either February 15, 2020 to June 30th, as you did for that same period in 2019. So if you reduce staff, it's going to reduce the amount of the forgiveness that's uh, of the loan that's docked. And then also that second part too, which is you can't reduce wages also by more than 25%. So if we just look at the reduction of staff, the company's penalized by 33% of its forgiveness for not, employing, not having employee one on the payroll. But if they rehire that employee by June 30th or rehire an employee by June 30th, the forgiveness penalty is waived. And the same is said for the reduction of wages. So if the wages are restored, if you bring them back up to at least not more than 25%, then 
the full forgiveness is restored as well. Okay, so let's talk about the last option, which is the employee retention credit. So this is a new credit against payroll taxes, and it's 50% of the wages paid to each employee up to a maximum of $10,000 of wages per person. And eligible wages means for businesses up to 100 employees, it's really any kind of compensation that you pay them. So to qualify, it's a little bit more, there is more qualification that you have to go through rather than, um, you know, when compared to the PPP. So for this, your business needs to fall into one or two categories. One, was it completely or or partially shut down by the the local, state, or or federal government? Or two, did it experience a, a significant decline in gross receipts? So first, was it completely or partially shut down? And I think what Congress is trying to do here is that if your business was forced to shut down for any coronavirus-related reason, for even if it was a single day and a quarter, you're probably qualifying for the entire quarter's wages. It's really not completely or partially shut down means, but for the most part, I think a lot of businesses were shut down, so they would, would qualify under this clause. The experience a significant decline in gross, gross receipts. So what this means, a, a significant decline in gross receipts is defined as any given quarter during the year in which your um, business has no more than 50% of the gross receipts that it had in the same quarter the previous year. So as we, if we take an example, if company A had $100,000 in gross receipts in the second quarter of 2019 and $49,000 of gross receipts in the second quarter of 2020, that would be a qualifying quarter. But if the company had $100,000 of gross receipts in the second quarter of 2019 and 51000 of gross receipts, in the second quarter of 2020, they would not qualify for the ERTC. Um, so you really have to do a, a, a calculation, and then you have to qualify or certify each quarter. So whereas like the EIDL and the PPP, they're one-time loans or grants, this is uh, the ERTC is there's no time limit on when it's when it's over, but you do have to every quarter compare it to the previous quarter and see if you still do qualify to to get that. So it potentially could be. Um, could be a bigger benefit the ERTC, but you know the the rules are a little bit more stringent on on qualifying for it. Um, so when you take all these into into account, um, all the regulations and details of these loans and the fact that they're still being flushed out, it's hard to make a decision on which one to go with. So if you do have any questions, I'd be happy to talk, and you can contact me at eight six two two zero five five eight zero zero. And like I said, there's a part one of this series where we talk about the different benefits for individuals, which covers unemployment insurance, the recovery rebate checks, changes to your access to your retirement accounts, as well as uh, some changes to student loans, to federal student loans and borrowers having having some time that they um, can forego making making payments. So you can listen to that episode at agentofwealth.com backslash 42. And like I said, I'd be happy to talk. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.